the Auburn Observer Podcast recap edition, Sunday recap. And, uh, well, there's some good stuff later on for Auburn uh, in terms of the basketball program. But once again, we are talking about an Auburn football loss in the year 2020 to a ranked team. The issue here is this one did not go uh, the way that we probably thought it would have gone. Um, the the result itself, don't think it's going to take anybody by surprise. Texas A&M 31, Auburn 20. But the way we got there, definitely is a new one for a team that continues to um either it continues to slide and have these disappointing results um at the times they need them the most painter sharpless with me <laughs> justin ferguson as always hello painter uh hello this was a surprise to me because i've been beating the drum for a month now at least that i didn't think this texas a&m team was all that good and maybe they're not but i don't th- there I was a lot there. about this game that uh that wasn't good for Auburn, and I was wrong. And there's a lot of crew to be eaten. Well, let's let's get it started with the biggest, I guess, the biggest surprise and and the biggest reason I think we're talking about Auburn as a loser today instead of a winner. Um, Three hundred and thirteen rushing yards allowed by the Auburn Tigers. Um, if you take out the sacks, it goes to three twenty three for an average seven yards per attempt. Uh, Auburn only had one sack, three tackles for loss in the entire game. A&M got pretty much whatever they wanted on the ground. Isaiah Spiller went for 120. Uh, Devin Aiken, um, sorry, Devin, uh, went for nine yards, uh, 99 yards on nine carries. If he was one, he was one carry off of being, of making sure that Texas A&M became the first team since the 2018 Mississippi State team to have two 100-yard rushers against Auburn, and those two would have been running backs. Last time Auburn gave up that much, well, it was it was uh, a really bad era for Auburn defense. 2014, uh, the Wisconsin game in the Outback Bowl, uh, Corey Clement, and then most notably Melvin Gordon running for 100 each against Auburn in that game. This was shocking how. Poor Auburn played up front and and could not stop the run because there have been games this season where they have won because they did well at the line of scrimmage. Their, uh, LSU is the probably the most notable example. They dominate them in the run and run defense, and it, that that was the reason why they won. Um, but over the uh, four out of the last five games, take out that LSU game. So going back to the Ole Miss game, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas A&M have all averaged over five yards of carry against this Auburn defense. Texas A&M averaging you know, more than six, and, and it was seven when you take out the sacks. Um, this Auburn rushing defense has not looked this bad in a very long time, and it's the reason why Texas A&M was able to win yesterday because they never got to get out of what they wanted to do, which was control the clock, control the game, um, and, you know, limit possessions and just be more efficient with them. Uh, and it's kind of been their MO all year. And I, I was I walked away from this game just absolutely floored at how poorly Auburn played in terms of their run defense. Definitely underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, don't really know what else to say about that group, given what I came to expect over the last couple of seasons and uh, what I thought going into the year was just an automatic reload. It didn't turn out to be that way. Now, look, I mean, the defensive line didn't do what I expected and, and projected onto them for what it's worth. I mean, that was my projection onto them. It was a fine unit this season. It had good moments, but uh, given the value of that position group over the last few seasons for and how exceptional it was, and this year in their biggest games, they were just unable to win the line of scrimmage consistently against Georgia, Alabama, and, and A&M. Well, and, and not having Derek Brown, one of the best run stoppers yeah, yeah. ever, and he's he's doing the same thing at the NFL level right now. And then and then Marlon Davidson, it, it makes a, a big difference. K.J. Britt, you don't have K.J. Britt. He was statistically the best run-stopping linebacker in college football last season. That matters. That that definitely, definitely matters. But there's still, like, Texas A&M didn't ever really look tough. I mean, there were a couple of times – in the game, the couple times Auburn was able to get stops, they were they were able to get a stuff or two, but it just wasn't consistent. Uh, you know, against Tennessee and against Alabama, against Ole Miss to an extent, I think I think you saw it more though in those Tennessee and Alabama games. Big runs hurt you. You know, you had the Najee Harris run, you had those big smoke draws against uh, against Tennessee that that were big from from Eric Gray. Texas A&M only had one run that went for 20 or more yards and only two for 15 or more yards. But they had 15 double-digit carries uh, in yardage. They had only Auburn had only allowed 34 in their previous eight games. It's an average of a little over four and a half. This was slow, steady, just beating you to the pulp. I mean, just beating you to a pulp. This they Texas A&M was getting chunks. And they weren't hitting huge plays. For long drive, like there are short drives, it wasn't like, hey, here's Isaiah Spiller for 50 yards and a touchdown. It was like, here's Isaiah Spiller for 10 yards and then 12 yards a couple plays later and then 15 yards. And and so Texas A&M got to be quote unquote explosive while still dominating the clock, and that is a death sentence um, when you when you have to play that way. It was bad. I mean, it wasn't what I expected for the year, and I think what I thought heading into the game was. It's a simple plan. You make them one-dimensional. You put the ball in the hands of Kellen Mond long enough. He will make some mistakes. And he did that to an extent. He looked really good, though. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, very efficient. What was he, 18 of 23 for a little less than 200 yards? He had two Ran TDs. the ball well. Yeah, the ball and on the some run big well. moments. So, like, their game plan was a good one against Auburn. I think they knew that they had a little bit of an edge and that if they didn't make mistakes – they could probably win that game, and especially given how much better they were on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Mon didn't have to do anything exceptional. And he was he was good uh, yesterday. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of in, in the same vein as Bo Nix when he's been at his best. Like, didn't turn the ball over, got you a touchdown or two, helped you in some big moments on second or third down. And when you're aided by a really good running game, you, yeah, you never really feel wrong. uncomfortable. He ne- Absolutely. He never got uncomfortable and – and the running game was the thing that it was shocking because you look at this team, you start to have to wonder a little bit, like, what is going on? Like, why Auburn is suddenly, you know, this bad a run defense? Because people will point out, well, they've, uh, you know, I saw people yesterday that were like, oh, well, they've been bad all season. It's like, no, they haven't been a bad defense all season. They've been an average defense to sometimes a good defense. This was a horrible performance. This was. I think the the worst defensive performance of the of the Kevin Steele era, and you start looking at 
you know, snap counts and stuff like that is just they didn't rotate. They don't rotate much in this in this group, right? At linebacker, so Kobe McLean and Owen Papa played almost every play of this game, right? You barely saw Cam Riley in the game at all. You have no um, KJ Britt. You have no Chandler Wooten. You've recruited this position, but they have not rotated at all. And I just wonder if fatigue is really starting to get the get these guys down, because that was the thing that. I was really struck by yesterday is that they just looked like they didn't really have anything going. They had a couple of drives where they got they got some stuffs and they forced Mond in some third and longs and, and got some incompletions and and, and, and and you know forced punts. But for the most of the game it was just AM was doing whatever they wanted to do on the ground. And afterwards afterwards, you know, Jordan Peters and Big Cat Bryant were the representatives for the defense and they were saying like you know, they just executed really well. They had a really good scheme. They, they just beat us. They just beat us up front. And it's true. And it's just like, I, I wonder how much of that is coming to the fact that they don't have a lot of quality depth uh, on the defensive line and especially at linebacker. Um, and they have not been able to rotate this year. It's been a long year. They've had injuries and they've, you know, they, they just haven't been able to rely on, on some of those younger guys in those rotation pieces as much this year. And it's starting to wear them down. But yeah, you had guys missing tackles. You had guys getting out of position. But I think the bottom line is, is just Texas A&M just beat you. I mean, they beat you at the line of scrimmage in this game. And, and where that f- starts to fall in even more is another problem that Auburn's had. Uh, Texas A&M was seven of eleven on third downs in this game. Um, Auburn's third down defense, worse than the SEC, continues to be worse than the SEC. But here's the he, here's where it really got hurt. They were in third and long nine or plus nine plus. Once they did convert on that one, it was a pass. They were, um, no, it was two, sorry. Um, yeah, they got stopped on a third and eight and a third and seven, um, and a third and three late. And that's it. There was, they converted a third and four and a third and five and a third and one and a third and two and a third and four. And, and, you know, they gave up some, some bigger plays of the air in those long distance situations. But for the most part, it's like, a&M was, got a lot of third and shorts and third and mediums that were very gettable. And when you're running the ball at seven yards a clip, like, you can just keep doing that. And, and there's really no problem. Um, and people want to point out they're holding calls. And that, those are definitely those are definitely a, a reality uh, that weren't called. You did take advantage of the fact that there were two chop block calls in this game, which, man, when was the last time you heard of a team, especially a team running out of the shotgun as much, doing, you know, pulling off chop blocks, um, that, you know, back to AM up. And, but you kind of had to bank on that a little bit to kind of slow down the run. It's just, I, the third down defense, you know, when you've got AM in those situations, Mon had all the time in the world to throw, or he could scramble and take off and run, and your pass rush just wasn't there. And it's something that I think Auburn fans have been talking about most of the season. There have been a few games where their pass rush has looked has looked good for the most part, but they're still lacking that just go to third down pass rush, pin years back, get after the quarterback. Mon had a lot of time to throw or run on third downs, and and it killed Auburn because they could not get off the field. And once again, A and M just. Didn't make a ton of huge plays, but there were a lot of chunks that just they just it's just a meat grinder kind of the game for Auburn and um, A and M got to be quote unquote explosive without necessarily you know going away from what they want to do, which was control the clock, control the ball, you know, control the game. I've said this in the past. I don't know what the answer is in terms of the coaching staff or getting the players to execute better. 
because there was some combination of that in this loss. Yeah. But, uh, it's hard to watch. It's not a lot of fun right now. It's, it's just kind of uninspiring. Like, and it's know. weird. And it's weird because it's the defense. Like, for because of most of the year, like even though Auburn's defense is not the dominant unit it has been last year or even some of the years past under Kevin Steele, it still had been a unit that could get all, keep Auburn around, right? You know, the bend don't break, make stops in the red zone, stuff like that. And like they didn't really have that on, on Saturday. Now, were there some things that went against them? Absolutely. You know, fourth quarter. There's a third down play where it looks like he might have trapped the ball on the third on the third down conversion, and they didn't review it, and Auburn didn't challenge it. And then the next play, they throw the ball up in the air, and Scott McLean has it dead to rights on an interception, and the ball deflects off of him and goes right into the hands of an A&M receiver for the go-ahead touchdown, or the tight end, uh, Weidemeyer. Um that's a tough break. Those are those are tough breaks for sure. And you know, you flip that around, it's a different ball game to be clear. But the thing for Auburn is, is okay, if, if they get that stop, well, they've still got to stop A&M again on, on defense. And the way A&M was just running and moving the ball in, in, in chunks in the game, and then when they had to throw with Kellamon, it was very efficient. It wasn't He was not under pressure a ton. Um, man, it just I, – I have not seen a Kevin Steele defense look like this in a long time because not only were – not only did they get pushed around up front and have breakdowns, you know, in different areas of the field – um, it just it, it looked like there wasn't an answer either. It wasn't like okay, they need to do this or they need to scheme this. It was just like no, you're just getting you're just getting bullied. You, I mean, you're just getting bullied up front. And it has been a long time since you have been able to say that about an Auburn defense. What do you think about the comments from the players afterward on the defensive side? And I guess for people who may not be aware, uh, who were the two guys that spoke this? It this was week? Jordan Peters and Big Cat Bryant. Um, yeah, I mean they had to. It was tough because, like, you just got you just got beaten pretty badly uh, up front, and you're having to come in and kind of like, okay, here's what here's what went wrong. Big Cat Brian said it was a lot of scheme stuff. It was a lot of they were running away from certain t- sets, and they were executing really well, and Auburn wasn't able to get there. Um, yeah, it sounds like it's just an execution thing. Like Texas A&M executed their game plan to perfection, and Auburn did not execute well at all on defense, and. It wasn't that they packed it in or gave up or didn't show any fight. I didn't. It's just like it. I don't know. It's just it was it was it was a throwback to just before the steel era of like, oh, this is what it felt like to just get kind of gashed on the ground. Because like I said, it hadn't been since the last game of the pre Muschamp pre steel era, the the final game in twenty fourteen. This was the last time Auburn let running backs, multiple running backs, do what they did yesterday. Um. It had been a very long time since we had seen that, and not having Derrick Brown, not having Marlon Davidson—that's a—that's—that's that's a difference. I mean, not having KJ Britt—that's a difference maker. But even still, you've got to play up to that standard still. And I know Auburn didn't have a ton of experience coming back down the middle of that defense, and they had it—they had depth issues. But it's. It's game nine of the season, and you haven't looked like this all year. And so when you finally start looking like this, I think it is, yeah, Texas A&M out-schemes you and out-executed you, but I also got to start worried about fatigue. I, I'm, I'm really I'm really wondering about fatigue because, like, the snap counts have been so high, especially, especially for Popo and, uh, and uh, McLean. And they're just running away from you and just saying, hey, chase us all day, buddy. You're going to get tired. That's what it looked like to me. And I'm an idiot when it comes to defense, right? And I'm sure I said a bunch of things wrong there. 
But uh, again, even the most I, untrained eye can look at that and go, "I don't know." I don't know when I'm going to be able to get those answers though on defense either. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, I mean, it, you don't have to be a genius to watch what was happening every play, and and like there wasn't a ton of explosive offensive plays as you already mentioned, but A&M was having their way on most downs, and that's perhaps that's a slow drip, and it's. It's no fun when you feel like, you know, especially when you watch your team go three and out and the other team's just picking up five, six, eight, hmm. three, seven. You know, it's like they might, you know, Auburn might hold them to a second and, and nine or, or get them to third and third and 11. But it's like here, you know, they either got the big conversions on third down or they kept themselves really close to the sticks and kept moving the ball successfully on first and second down so that third downs were easy. Uh, it was weird. It was uh, unusual to watch Auburn's defense get pushed around and I think there probably are a couple of reasons for it some of which you laid out there but no matter what it's pretty obvious to everyone that that wasn't what we've come to expect especially over the last two seasons yeah there's there's no doubt about that whatsoever um offensively switching over not a bad game per se from Auburn they ran the ball themselves fairly efficiently uh if you take out the sacks 207 rushing yards seven uh, more than seven yards of carry um, you had a big run from Tank Bigs. It's very clear he, he wasn't 100%, but he had a big run. Um, Sean Shivers, big uh, some big runs from him. Uh, Bo Nix had the scramble play of, I, I don't even know what the, what happened there. It's he Two very large defensive tackles had him dead to rights, and he able, was able to escape and score. He ran the ball particularly well. Auburn was able to gash them up front. This is a Texas A&M run defense that had been really good this year, and Auburn got found some success. They started gashing them in the second and third quarters, middle of the game, and Auburn took control in the middle, right? Even with all their mistakes, you know, Texas A&M misses a, misses a short field goal. They had the punt in plus territory. Auburn takes advantage and, and starts scoring. And, it, I mean, remember, it's 20-7. to 7, it's, it's 20-14 to 14 at the end of the third quarter. But here's a couple of things to keep in mind. This team, this offense – as much as good of work as it did in the run game, I think that offensive line got some good push up front. The running backs did well, even though that's not a that's not a full strength group right now. Bo Nix did a good job of, of running the ball as well. Some of the same issues of consistency still plague this team. Auburn was four of ten on third downs, and, and once again, when they, they just. Auburn's run running game was effective, but there were still times when Auburn was in third and long situations. They didn't convert any of them. They were four ten on third downs. They converted one, I think, third and nine. That was that was a pretty good one to Seth Williams earlier in the game. But it's just it's the consistency, it's the red zone issues, it's the third the most important times of the game, you know, the most important times of the game, Texas AM was more effective. Third downs, red zone, fourth quarter. Right, first quarter of the game, Auburn gets off. It has another, you know, three and out to start of the game. They've been bad on first drives all year. The script, the, the it's. I think it's very clear that you're not seeing the scripted drives that you usually see from from Gus, because usually those used to be some of his more effective ones. It's changed this year with a new offensive coordinator. They just haven't been the same this season. But Bo Nix goes 15 to 23 for 144 yards. Again, not a horrible game. It's a little bit better than his average against ranked teams, but it's still not great. Um, he misses a wide-open Eli Stove on a touchdown pass. That's four more points Auburn could have put on the board. 
early instead of kicking a field goal as in the second quarter they run a they run a combination on the outside that's worked all year post wheel you know free last stove up the outside he can walk into the end zone here's a little pass and and nicks sails it and his feet aren't good and he feels like it looks like he's fading and throws it throws it over you know auburn doesn't convert in the red zone later in the game and has to kick a field goal there's a chance there's eight points right there that they missed out on and so instead of going up by instead of going up they could have been up 28 14 late in the third quarter they're only up 20 to 14 and a&m takes 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 control of the game from there and it's just it's the same kind of issues it's like yeah bo nicks made some really good throws and made some really good plays. The, the, that one touchdown run and a few of those scrambles are things that only he can really do. Um, but, I mean, Auburn never attacked A&M deep. They said they called shots, but it was they played kind of sit-back defense. And the thing is with Auburn right now, it looks to me is that a defense can look at it and say, all right, if Bo Nix can't hit, if we can't give up the big, let's make sure Anthony Schwartz doesn't get the you know 70-yard touchdown or, you know, get the big one-on-one ball to, to Seth Williams, those big chunks. And if we just keep everything in front of us with Auburn, right, you know, Nix's inconsistency is going to come back and get him at some point. Yeah. And that's what it looked like. And, and to me, I could be every wrong because, you know, it was a lot more effective. I saw, I saw Texas A&M do kind of some of the same stuff that Auburn did to Ole Miss a few weeks back on defense and said, hey, you're not going to beat us deep. You're not going to get the big explosive play. Hey, you want to run the ball? You want to run the ball? We'll let you run the ball, right? But we know that we're going to get you into some tight situations where you're going to have to make some short, medium-range throws and convert in those spots or, you know, those long situations. You're not a consistent enough offense to do what we're doing right now, which is getting ourselves in a lot of third and shorts. We're just going to keep everything for us and, and hope, and, you know, you know, hope that we hope that that inconsistency can pop up again. And sure enough, it did. Yeah, Bo did not take the steps forward in his accuracy and consistency in that area of the game that I thought he would. I was willing to give him a large pass as a true freshman just because of how insane that schedule was uh-huh. for them last year. But in this game and in some other big games, I unfortunately feel like uh, he just wasn't the quarterback I thought he might blossom into as a more dynamic, accurate passer who in some really tough situations um, would deliver a little more consistently. Here's the thing. I'm still not off uh, Bo's talent. I think there's a lot about his game that you can appreciate, but right now the numbers don't lie. They're unimpressive. Um, And, you know, like it's all well and good that he does some little things well, like not taking sacks and getting rid of the ball. And it seems like he knows the offense really well. That's all great. But what is it amounting to? Um, and you know, it's still a grind and that's not all on him. We spent a lot of time talking about why it is offense is such an interesting part of football and why it's such an interesting, you know, part of the sport, like it's collaborative. 11, yeah. More so than perhaps any other sport. I don't know. There's it's probably up for debate, but I, I still think there's a good argument that, uh, the collaboration you need to successfully produce a big play in football is pretty insane. And this is the same thing we've been talking about most of this year and, and some in past years, the offense is a grind since 2017 each year and there have been some different reasons but also one specific reason inconsistent offensive line play and yes there have been times where the quarterback play has not been consistent or even good yes there have been times where the wide receivers were not uh perhaps consistent enough and and that's all well and true but i I do think if we're going to talk about collaboration 
then it takes us back to the same thing. And I don't know if we want to keep having that conversation because it's like we know what the weaknesses and deficiencies of the team have been over the last few years. I'm just not sure how much better it's it's likely to get, at least certainly not this year. I had somebody ask me on Twitter yesterday, do you feel like Bo Nix is like regressing? Or, you know, the mechanics and all that. And like, I'm not a quarterback genius. I, I don't. I don't know the footwork and the mechanics of like I I don't know I'm not I can't speak to it as an expert opinion, um, but I will say this: I don't think Bo Nix's problem this year and Auburn's offense problem this year is a regression to an extent the passing offense to regression. It's a lack of expected progression. You know what I'm saying? Like Auburn's throwing the ball more this year, and Nix is slightly more accurate and slightly better in yards per attempt. However, he's thrown more interceptions already than he, than he had uh, last season in less games. Um, and it's just, it hasn't taken that step forward. The efficiency and all that, it's just been modest gains. And like, yes, that's improvement, but like you were expecting more this year. It was supposed to be a bigger jump. And right, it's a weird year. And it, how much ex, how much could you really expect to take a step forward? I don't know, but I do know. There are other offenses and other quarterbacks across the country who made leaps this season that Auburn has not been able to make this year. And pressure-wise, yeah, there were a few times where Auburn gave up some pressures and some sacks. But I also think I also think Nick's put himself in trouble again. I think there were I think there's there's throws where he just was off target on them. And it's it's the thing is that they have not taken a step forward offensively like we thought that they could have this season. And so I don't think it's a regression. I don't necessarily think it's gotten worse. Now, somebody who knows more about quarterback play and development might be able to point out and say this, this, and this, and, and, and prove me wrong, and, I, and I would, I'd be fine with that. But from my perspective, it's just you're not seeing the step forward that you thought you were going to take it. Now, Auburn's running game this year has been better on the whole. That offensive line's been better at run blocking on the whole, but it has taken a step back in pass protection, which we thought was possible because that was the one thing they were pretty good at last year on that offensive line. And Knicks has not settled and taken that step forward. And against the better competition they play, it's just, it ranges from either really bad play of like in terms of turning the ball over or just not enough. It's not enough to 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 get you to the next level, and like you said, Painter, it's not all on Bo Nix, right? It's it's a collaborative thing. It's on coaching. It's on play calling. It's on the execution of the people around him. The wide receivers have to get open, right? Seth Williams and 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 Anthony Schwartz. It wasn't like those guys were running free and Nix just wasn't hitting them. Like it, 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 there were tight windows he was thrown into in the in this game, and there were several other guys that did that did as well. It's like. This offense as a whole, when you especially when it comes to the passing game, has not taken the step forward that we thought they were going to because they entered the season what? Chad Morris is the new offensive coordinator. He's got a history with 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 drastically improving passing offenses in year one. You have a returning quarterback, which is something that most teams in the SEC did not have. You had your top three receivers coming back this season, which is something that most teams in the SEC did not have. Yet, here we are heading into the final game of the regular season for Auburn. And their passing offense this season is ninth in the SEC in terms of yards per attempt. Um, it is tenth in efficiency, uh, and it is ninth as well in in completion percentage. Right? That's about where they were last year. That is pretty much where they were last year in terms of rankings. Now the numbers themselves have gotten a little bit better, but you look you look at how many offenses in the SEC have taken some massive steps forward this season, especially throwing the ball. 
right? Arkansas has taken a guy that Florida didn't want anymore, and they're averaging, you know, they're fourth in the SEC in passing. Ole Miss has become a force again through the air. Now, LSU's taking a step back. Florida and Alabama have gotten better, um, and they were already at pretty high levels. It's just Auburn, Auburn wasn't one of those teams this year. And that is where the frustration really, really starts to kick in for this fan base. And I get it. I, I, I totally get it. The de- the way the defense played, the way the defense played yesterday was kind of new with how, how rough it is. And then when you combine that with an offense that at times can get the ball moving, but when A&M adjusted and, and, and Auburn had to make those plays late, they just couldn't do it. And it's just because that consistency is not there. How many times have we said that over the last few years? They show flashes. They're just not consistent. And flashes are not enough in college football anymore, especially in this especially in this age of wide-open offense. Yeah, it's just uninspiring to watch. It's hard to imagine that it, it couldn't be a whole lot better given how I think the players, like talent, what they have on the team, especially on offense this year. And that's part of what scares me about next season. We know how important it is to return a quarterback and wide receivers who are experienced. And, you know, there's a scenario in which you could get Schwartz and Stove back. I don't think you're likely to get Williams. And I think there's a good chance you could end up not having all three of them. Like, they could all yeah. three potentially oh, yeah. be gone. So, there, I, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm that's, telling you, that's a scary situation for next year's offense. If you can go, if if you can go to the NFL this upcoming year and you have some real NFL potential, I think people are going to be gone. Right? It's a weird year. We don't know what college football is going to look like in 2021. Hopefully, you know, the pandemic has is is in the towards the end of its phase, and you know, there's been good news about vaccines, and there's hopefully we're in a hopefully where things are closer to back to normal next year, but. I think if you look at the program right now, it's not going in a a positive direction, and you might just want to go ahead and go now. And and because next year could be rough, next year could be next year also could be really good because this is Auburn and they defy your expectations at every turn. But go ahead and get that money, right? Like I could I, I could definitely see guys go guys deciding to go going to do that this year. So to me, that's the that's the thing that Auburn could run into because. You will have Nixon. You will have the running game back, and you'll have most of that offensive line back. But yeah, the wide receivers, who all is going to be back next year, and that's that's going to be a problem because they have to take a step forward. And even with the pieces they had coming back this year, and the and the newness that Morris was supposed to bring in, and again they have upgraded and they have changed some things on offense. But it's just it has in results it hasn't really taken that next step. The other thing about this game that was so surprising to me is that Auburn led late in the third quarter, heading into the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, every uh, throughout the season, team. they've been a really good team in the fourth quarter. Not they don't blow teams out in the fourth quarter, but they win the fourth quarter, right? The only time in the previous eight games where they lost, quote-unquote, the fourth quarter was the LSU game, and they were already blowing them out. They were plus 26. And even then, I mean, even then. Right, exactly. Eight to seven. Like, yeah, okay. eight, yeah. They were plus 26, plus 27 heading into that into that fourth quarter. And it's like, all right, finish it out, 60 minutes. And they just flatlined. Like, it was it was incredible how just bad that that ended up looking. AM converts that weirdness that we talked about with the with the third down pass and then the deflected. And then Auburn immediately goes three and out. AM works the clock a little bit more, gets down the field, scores a touchdown. Uh, they have the big deep, they have a deep pass play there. Um, Mon hits an I Smith in one-on-one coverage. 
38 yards, and then they score. Um, Auburn goes three and out again, and it works clock, five and a half minutes, kicks field goal to go up by two scores. There's your ball game. So you go from up four, and again, like we said, uh, sorry, you go up, you, you go from being up six, and like we said, could be up by 14. That's how math works. Um, to losing by 11 in a pretty quick flip of a switch. And that's something that we have not seen this team do this year. Because slow starts, okay. We've seen that on offense, and we've seen them to an extent on defense this year. The defense adjusted in the in the, in the second and third quarters of this game. Auburn won, right? They were they they beat Texas A and M twenty to seven in the second quarter. All right, in the second and third quarters combined, they had taken control of this game, and they had overcome the problems they had had early on offense, and they had managed the problems they had had early on defense, and they had overcome it on the other side. And it was like, okay, well, once Auburn gets it figured out, we have not seen them just completely hit a wall in the fourth quarter on offense or on defense, right? They'll just be able to keep it going. And they had unlucky breaks on the defensive end, yes. You still got to make some stops. You still got to slow them down. You got to get off the field in the rest of the fourth quarter. Then the offense goes three and out twice. And then when they have this two-minute drill late, when they when they have to just do something, they can't move the ball either. It, it was just a it was a meltdown. Yeah, I thought that backdoor cover might still be available. <laughs> they uh, nope. nope. They got it, me good. They just didn't. I mean, it, it wasn't that they stopped fighting. It wasn't that the, that there wasn't enough effort or energy or anything. It's just they just their execution just nose no. It was just a nosedive after that uh, heading into the fourth quarter on both sides yeah. of the ball. And they had at least recovered to the point that, like, man, Auburn might escape with a win that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of Auburn, you know, just, like, didn't didn't play. Missed for- a wide-open touchdown pass, like had a had an interception, you know, still go for a touchdown. It's like, can they pull that, like an, an easy 14-point swing? And, you know, can you – Still overcome that, uh, and maybe they it looked like they would have at one point. And they needed this win, and this was at home, and it was senior day, and there was so much that was going for. It's like, oh, this is a game that Auburn usually gets. Hey, it's a four quarter game. They take care of business, and they and they and they and they get the win. Nope, that is not what happened at all in this game. They get blown out in the fourth quarter and lose. And it's just that's different, man. Like that's that is not normal. You can talk about some of the things that we've said. You know, the defense not being up to not being a dominant unit or having some mistakes and execution problems all year. We've talked about that. The offensive, you know, the the inconsistency when it comes to the passing game, the inconsistency when it comes to moving the ball on third down or in the or taking advantage in the red zone. Those are things we've talked about all year. It's game nine. Those those things we've already seen. But the fact that they got shredded on the ground the way they did, and the fact that they got into the fourth quarter and just didn't, I mean, just lost the plot. That's new, right? And it would have been different. Again, the result is a result, and that's all that matters. It would have been different if Auburn lost this game with just the way that Auburn's lost games this year against ranked teams. And it's just like, well, this offense doesn't really – this offense couldn't get anything going, and the defense couldn't hold up long enough, and that is what it is. Your offense moved the ball at times really, really well, especially on the ground in the second and third quarters. You just couldn't have – you couldn't get them off the field on defense. You couldn't stop the run at all. And then you just you didn't you didn't give any 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 much of a chance to stay in the game in the fourth quarter, and that's different, and that's a problem. That's a that's a problem because that's the sign of like oh this isn't like 
oh, we are who we are, and you know it's hard to overcome it. It's like now, okay, now you've you've invented a new way to lose in this game. Like <laughs> you've like that's that's an issue. That's an issue that when you know you give up that many yards on the ground and look like that in the fourth quarter, that's not that's not been Auburn's mo this year, and that's troublesome to get this late in the season. And building off of that, I guess after the third season of at best inconsistent offense and at worst a stagnant offense that can't get you points when you truly need it. You start feeling like I'm inclined to believe that the body of work is large enough that this is just not going to get better and that we are seeing that if you consistently can't finish drives in big games in the red zone, if the offensive line is consistently inconsistent, if you know your quarterback through some deficiency can improve in a major area of weakness this might just be what the limits are and uh, we talked some recently about Auburn and its ceiling and I feel like all of that is interwoven into what it is that was so frustrating about most of the losses this season and to your most recent point sort of the uniqueness in the way that they found themselves on the losing end of this game yeah yeah and and now you're at a point, this is such a missed opportunity. This was a chance to go get a win against a ranked team. Now Auburn's not going to beat a ranked team in the regular season for the first time since 2015, right? They might get one in the bowl game, but I, I doubt it. And if you lose to Auburn in the bowl game, you're probably not going to finish ranked either way. But if we have a bowl game, I don't even know how any of that works this right, year. Right. Um, it'll be the first time since 2015 you did not beat a ranked team. It'll be the seventh year in a row, seven of eight for under Gus Malzahn, that they lose at least four games. This is where we get to the controversy after the game, at least in terms of the fan base <laughs> on social media. Uh... There's a question asked at the end of Gus Malzahn's press conference. He's, uh, the question was, quote, Gus, you mentioned earlier this week, um, the goal is to now go seven and three and get ready again, again, against blah. Oh, I didn't even type this out correctly. Gus, you mentioned earlier, earlier week, the goal is now to go 7-3 and three and get redemption against the top five team. Now that those are out of the question, what's the message to the team entering the final week? Gus says, here's, here's it. he said, it'll be transition. It'll be the next best 6-4. and four. That's what it'll be. 6-4, and four, and if you have a normal non-conference schedule, that would be a solid year. But, obviously, we're not happy that we weren't able to beat one of those ranked teams. We played the number one and number five, and what was the number two and or number three when we went on the road earlier, meaning Georgia, of course. We weren't able to win those games. So the problem is, is that Malzahn said, you know, have a normal non-conference year, six and four, that's a good year. And all right, here's where you get into some math and some and some theory, and you're about to get some schedule weirdness going on. But let's let's look at this, right? The original schedule had Auburn playing three games that they were going to win no matter what this year. They were going to play Alcorn State. They were going to play Southern Miss. Um, and they were going to play uh, – help me out of here. Who was, the, who was the other game that they lost? Uh, UMass, sorry. So Alcorn State, Southern Miss, UMass. Every year under Gus Malzahn, pretty much every year for a long time, Auburn wins three paycheck games every year. Boom, that's three wins that you don't have on the schedule, right? There's your three wins. You do play North Carolina. You did not get to play North Carolina. Which is a team that could score points. Team that could score points is a ranked team. 
you have not beaten a ranked team this season. You've had a hard time keeping up with good offenses. You can't just assume that's a win. They might win. I don't know. But you certainly It'd can't been just er- go, that's a W. Right. Would have been early in the year. Don't really see it. All right. Here's what else you got. You beat Arkansas in controversial fashion, but you beat Arkansas. You were supposed to play Arkansas this year. You beat Kentucky. You were supposed to play Kentucky this year. All right. That's another win. You beat Ole Miss. You were supposed to play Ole Miss this year. That's another win. You beat LSU. You were supposed to play LSU this year. That's another win. Right? So that now you're at seven wins that you were going to get. You have lost to Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, and Texas A&M. All right? Well, you were supposed to, you were going to play Georgia, Alabama, and A&M no matter what. The, those are your teams you play every year. That's three losses right there. Right? That's three. Boom, boom, boom. Guaranteed. So now the question mark we have is the one loss to South Carolina. Now, say you don't have to play South Carolina. And there are SEC, like the the fatigue of playing a 10-game SEC season. Those are all factors that matter. But here's my question. Here, here's my point. You lost to a South Carolina team that you weren't supposed to play this year, right? You were supposed to beat them. They fired their coach. And they hired Shane Beamer apparently already. Um and you know, don't don't tell me about inexperienced coaches. By the way, uh, just look at just look at presidents. I guess that was the thing we learned late last night on. on what Twitter. a beautiful, beautiful word. <clears throat> God tier posting. Um, he deleted it though, which is which goes against the way of the poster, and I don't and I don't I don't appreciate that. Um, but okay. it's okay to have a thought that you but keep that up there because that that very well could be your Mona Lisa, sir. So you lose to South Carolina, and like here's the exchange: you weren't supposed to play South Carolina, you weren't supposed to play Tennessee this year. Right. Um, so now what you're doing is, is like, all right, you can trade off the Tennessee game for one of the non-conference games you didn't get. And then you take the South Carolina game. And it's like, yeah, you weren't supposed to play them. But it's like, does that mean you automatically beat North Carolina? Right. It starts, it starts kind of leaning weird. The most charitable reading of this season for Auburn at this moment is that if they would have played a normal year, it would be nine and three if they beat Mississippi State next week. That is assuming that you beat North Carolina and then you just take, you know, take those three non conference wins and you just sweep the non conference schedule. That, that, that's the most charitable reading of it. I am of the opinion that I do not think Auburn would have won if they were to play North Carolina week two this year. I, I don't think that. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know how you keep up with that no. offense. And also, no matter what. In this scenario, in this simulation, they definitely lost to South Carolina. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I don't really know what to tell you because I watched that game. If they beat if they beat if they beat South Carolina if they beat Mississippi State next week, I think six and four regular season is the same as an eight and four regular season in a normal year. Because you would have added two more you would have added three more wins against teams that you normally wouldn't play, but there's still that loss that was hanging over, you know, do you trade Tennessee for the, it, it gets weird. It gets weird. The math doesn't add up. I bottom line, this is going to feel like an eight and four year. I said at the beginning of the year, we'll have to see in context, but the losses are going to translate. If you go five and five, it's going to feel like seven and five. If you go, you know, uh, eight and two, it's going to feel like 10 and two. I, they're going to translate pretty well across the board. I think with what we've seen right now, knowing what Auburn did against South Carolina and what they could have done against North Carolina, this is what you are. Is it eight and four? 
Yeah, Ow. can I can I just interject here with some um, completely unoriginal thought that I th- I think was a, a really good thought from Jerry Hennon, which was that he put out he's at Jerry Hennon on Twitter. There's there's a germ of truth in the idea that if Auburn had swept their four non-conference games, not a given. I think we're in agreement here about how that game would have gone for. Uh, things could feel marginally better. Uh, there's a big fat, however, which is that not every four-loss season is created equal. Mm-hmm. He used the 2019 season as an example in which you beat the Pac-12 champion and you beat your biggest rival and lost to a bunch of top 10 teams. However, a four-loss season in which, as he put it, you returned to confetti by Georgia and Alabama, lose at home to Texas A&M, and then you take an inexplicable loss to South Carolina who, you know, just fired its coach. Like the four losses, as you're pointing out, do matter who and, and yep. how it yep. happens. Yep. But also at some point it's like, I'd like to stop having four loss seasons. Thank you. Right. You can argue whether Auburn's Auburn's expectation should be 10 wins. But I think eight and four or four losses every single year, that is not where you want to be. That's not where the coaching staff wants to be. And no matter what Gus Malzahn said, it's solid. I, again, he probably wishes he had that one back, um, given the firestorm that it generated. Eight, eight and four, four loss season and get whatever, throw out bowl games. I, I particularly do not care about bowl games as, as a record. They are exhibition games that you play a month after the season. Give me what your regular season record is. But even still, all right, even still, under Gus Malzahn, your regular season record has been for the most part, and has been, they have gone, um, let's see, it would have been 11 and 1 and 13. It would have been 8 and 4 and 14. It would have been 6 and 6 and 15. 8 and 4 and 16. Uh, 17, I got to start playing around with in my head here. It, would have, it was 9 and, it was 10 and 2 and, and 17, so better year there. 7 and 5 and 18. 9 and 3 and 19. And then this year, it's if they beat Mississippi State, it's going to be six and four or what we would translate mostly to an eight and four year. Look, there's only so much you can do and kind of steady the ship. And and I think Jerry makes a really good point there is that not all four loss seasons are created equal. You feel differently about 2019 because you beat Alabama, you beat Oregon. Um, there were two good wins to take away from a just absolute slaughterhouse. And you schedule. didn't lose to anybody that you are embarrassed to lose to. Unlike this year with South Carolina. Florida was probably the most frustrating loss last year. Like, at but least Florida turned out to be LA, really good, right? And like the Georgia game was frustrating because there was the comeback, and it's like, wow, you somehow still could have won that game. But at least the LSU team of last year and the Georgia team of last year were like unquestionably better as a whole than we, Auburn. We talked about this last week. There's so much value in a pandemic year of not going backwards, right? You don't want to be the team that looks like it's going backwards. Hold steady. It's weird. It's tough. People aren't going to be, you know, not everybody's going to be happy, but just hang in there, show that you're not going backwards, and then maybe when things get back to normal, you can try to get that progress that you're hoping for. You don't want to go backwards. The problem now is is that even if they beat Mississippi State on on on, on Saturday coming up, there is no guarantee to say that like this is they will not have if they go if they go six and four here, they will not have beaten a team that finishes with a winning record. And I get it, all the schedules look weird this season, but you will not have beaten a team that finished ranked. You will not have beaten a team that finished with a with a winning record in SEC play. Right? 
every decent team you played, good team, quote-unquote good team you played, you lost to. There was no, you get a shot at Florida this year, right? There, 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 was, none of, there was none of that. LSU was worse than we thought they were going to be this season. A lot worse than we thought they were going to be this season. Uh, the Mississippi Stools are not there yet. They're in year one. Arkansas is not there yet. They're in year one. And then you lost to South Carolina, who fired their football coach. So, they're, 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 to Jerry's point, they're not all created equal. And when you go from a year where you beat the Pac-12 champion and you beat Alabama and you played and hung in there competitively against some teams that were better than you and some really highly ranked teams like Florida and Georgia and LSU, then you come into a year where a lot of teams are taking steps back and, and you don't beat anybody that finishes ranked. You don't even beat anybody with a winning record. That that four losses feels a lot different than the four losses from last season. And so, in that day, it is hard for you to argue that Auburn did not take a step backwards this season. Statistically, offensively, like we said, not expected progression, not necessarily regression statistically in a lot of areas. Defensively, you took a step back. You knew that was coming. It's just going to be a matter of how long, how, how far you took a step back. And that is a problem because when that happens and you have quotes like that with a solid year, it's only going to frustrate the fan base more. There's going to be more and more frustration. There's going to be more anger. There's going to be more calls. There's going to be more, you know, it's, there's a lot. It was it was rough yesterday, like, you know, with, with how Auburn fans felt. And I get it. I, I completely understand it. The problem is you don't want it to get into downright apathy. You got to get people still got to, especially coming out of a pandemic, people still got to keep donating and, and buying tickets mm-hmm. and wanting to, and wanting to support your product. I won't, I won't pretend to know the inner workings of South Carolina's football culture. I don't even know the inner workings. They had given up. They had checked of, out. Of Auburn. Exactly. The one thing, though, that I think they made on, on a calculation that's obvious to everyone from the outside is this is not getting better. Everyone knows it's not getting better. It's gotten so bad. The fans are just essentially boycotting because they're like, I'm not going to watch my favorite team just get dismantled in a hopeless way. And so at the end of the year this year, you're going to see Auburn finish most likely third in the SEC West where they were projected six or seven. I think they would finish basically six in the league. Um, yeah, I think that's where they would, they would end up. It's about where they, about they were, where they were going to go, but it still feels different. And fa- the fan base, again, we can argue about what expectations should be and what reasonable expectations look like, but having that kind of offense in year eight is not, no one expected that. No one no one should – like, people should be frustrated with that. Fans should be frustrated with that, absolutely. The problem is, is that we are in – we are not in a normal world. We are not in a world where you can snap your fingers and say, all right, new football coach. You know, this isn't NCAA 14. You can't just say, well, this is not <laughs> – you didn't complete your goals this year. You were you, – you know, you're not, you're not our coach anymore. We're going to go on the coaching carousel and hire a new one. There's a lot of stuff going on. We are in a pandemic. We did we, – we, all the off-season stuff – affected Auburn and, and all that same as everybody else, but it still has context here. Money is money and it's only getting tighter, not only for the athletic department, but I think for some people who would be tasked with raising the money for that, the buyout is still the buyout, right? The contract is still the not good contract that it was, at least from Auburn's perspective. Those things are all real. And I wrote it yesterday. I think it's still unlikely that Auburn kicks in the total cost of getting rid of it, getting rid of Malzahn, getting rid of his staff for the most part. I don't know who would stay, but would and then hiring a different, different staff, paying all that, the buyouts and all that, getting that stuff situation. 
situated in a in a pandemic in a year where in a time where finances are there's a bigger crunch than there were you know 12 months ago right on top of that it's it's just a it's just one of the it's one of those times where do you have a fix in place do you know like this hasn't been a great year for like hey showcasing like hey I'm the next hot head coach and this is where I need to go. Like everybody's got their flaws and like some dream job picks from, from, um, from cycles past are not there. And it's just, do you want to go into that? Do you want to jump in there and not know for a fact that you're going to be, you're going to get that upgrade that you want and get to where you want to be. I say all that with this caveat. If they lose to Mississippi state on Saturday, I think all bets are off because then you can definitively say, you were going backwards. You were not where you wanted to be. And the frustration and the apathy and uh, potential apathy and all that will only ratchet up from there. Right. So I believe that Gus Malzahn is going to be Auburn's head coach in 2021, barring something wild happening here over the next few weeks. Make peace with that or get mad at that <laughs> however you want to. Again, though, I think things could change. And nothing that happened yesterday helped at all. In fact, it got it got a lot worse. I think the situation did. Auburn's living just above mediocrity. Uh, it's hovering, and it kind of seems like the program could slip. So, like you're saying, you know, anything crazy happens on Saturday, I wouldn't count it out. Otherwise, I think you're stuck in what sort of feels like no man's land. Yeah, um, and that's tough for. A couple of reasons. One, the excitement level will obviously be minimal this offseason if that prediction yeah, turns because, out to be true. And then the other is like, hey, you know, what are you going to do about recruiting? Because obviously you're going to get uh, recruited against negatively, and some people will argue about how much that matters. But at the end of the day, if a recruit questions whether or not he's going to be playing for you in a year or two, that I think does matter. And the other thing, the other thing there is, is that it's hard like are you going to get better if you make a change and you make in a tough financial spot make that investment to make that change will you get better because it can get a lot worse yeah i think an interesting thing here is that alan green is largely pretty popular i think if you gave him um, an approval rating right now my general feeling on what is a completely anecdotal i suppose is that he would have a, a popular and a good approval rating wherever you want to put that at but a lot of people were make- tweeting at him yesterday yeah, and when you make a mentions. higher, when you make a higher, depending on how it goes, then that's going to be essentially what is yep what you're measured by. And to this point, he's done a good job, I think, of managing. Uh, and I say managing, and that could come across as a little bit distasteful, but you know, I mean, what what huge or controversial decision has he truly had to make to this point? As far as I'm aware, it's not been there hasn't been one. Yeah, I just it, it can get worse for Auburn. They aren't. They have not hit rock bottom as a program. It, it it's not to say that things can't get better. You know, they could definitely get a lot worse. Um, it's just harder to feel like Auburn is not bumping up against the ceiling right now. On top of that, on top of that, the other thing to the other thing to keep in mind there is is that no one is a guarantee in coaching, and you have a coach at the moment who. With the with the inconsistencies and the faults and the frustrations, there are parts of his there are parts of him as like he's beaten Nick Saban three times. He has gotten Auburn to two SEC championship games. You know, is there anybody who's out there that 
is going to be able to raise Auburn's ceiling. And it's going to be a gamble either way. And the thing about gambling is it can bust for you real poorly. And you could be in a you could be in a spot like some other schools across the country where they're still kind of searching in the wilderness right now for like what they could end up being. Um and the other thing is like, you know, everybody's gonna be really, really hyped up on, you know, getting the next you know, former Saban assistant, and there's plenty of them that people are pointing at right now as, as coaching candidates. That's you know, working very well for other schools. And it's not working well. He still has everyone a should do that. You have the, the you have the head good. coach. You have the head coach that has unlocked the witchcraft beating Nick Saban more than anybody else. Um, yeah, uh, it, trying to be Alabama junior, Alabama 2.0. You know, well, that, it's not. But I don't. It's I don't, not even working in Athens, and they've got a better situation <laughs> than Auburn does. It's not working in Athens. It's definitely ain't working in Tennessee. And boy, is he! Did he have a day yesterday? God, uh, I love watching him coach. Man, it's so it's, funny that he didn't know what asparagus was. It's rough. It's rough. So, anyway, that's Auburn. Th- that's Auburn twenty, Texas A and M thirty one. Uh, like we said, real bad missed opportunity for the program to steady the ship. The storm's only getting bigger and louder and stronger from here. And uh, Mississippi State, I mean, you are in full, like, prevent this from being a Fight or flight mode, horrible baby. season. Um, we'll talk about that later in the week. Let's flip gears. I'm curious to know how many Auburn fans are going to be rooting against Auburn because I know that there are there will be some going to be fans who, yep. are, who are hoping for chaos Auburn and not in a good way. I cut you off, though. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's, yeah, and then the people who don't have any stake in it financially. <laughs> it's like, yeah, go ahead and fire him. It's like, well, it ain't your money that you're having to pay. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I think that's we part of being That's part of being a, a college football fan, though. Yeah. It's part of being a sports fan in general. It's like, they should do this or this or this, and it's like, well, it ain't your money that, you're de- that they're dealing with, but okay. Um, Become athletic director, and sir, I will care about your opinion infinitely more. <laughs> Give millions of dollars, <laughs> and I guess you'll. I guess your your opinion and your and your thought process will probably we'll have weigh. We'll have some weight. The yeah, rest, I, I, whether you're whether you're a fan or you're in the media or you're um, just a, a a general just civilian out here, uh, the rest of us are our opinions on what should or shouldn't happen. It's uh, all for fun. Really, like, really what? don't have any much real real world weight. Well, see, and that's the thing. I remind everyone because it's like you get to have an opinion. I have an opinion. And, and, I don't know. And, and to you, be like, clear, you to, get to have one right. no matter what, whether you're a donor, whatever. Just know that like people don't have to care. Right. I will say this though: when there is a collective, yeah, uh, the that, when the collective opinion shifts, when the majority opinion shifts, when apathy and frustrate when frustrations run high and apathy sets in, yes, then your opinion, your your part of the little cog in the machine, does matter. Right. Um. But it, when it comes to real-world implications of your opinion, it's very, very, very little. And that goes for us, too. That goes for us talking about Oh, to, let me be up front. Yeah, that goes for us talking matters. about it. It goes, it goes just, for media people talking about, hey, this team should do this, this, or this. Or if I say something that, hey, you know, this team should do this or this. It's never been my place to say this coach needs to get fired or this coach needs to get hired or whatever. I just... I cover these people. We, we have no illusions, Ferg, about yeah. how little our opinions matter. Oh, we yeah. We just appreciate that you guys are willing to indulge that hundreds us. Also, of you, that hundreds of you uh, listen to this. I counted recently and I on Auburn's Athletics website or Tigers Unlimited, whichever it is. I think they had about 48 different businesses or individuals or families giving the tune of a million dollars or more. And I think I counted 42 
giving at the $500,000 level or more. Mm. And so it's like you got about give or take. It's not a perfect number for a couple of reasons. And I'm bad at counting. And there could be some anonymous gift givers, whatever. But it's like about 100 people are contributing in a, in a massive way, just a disproportionate way. And then I would imagine within that group of 100 or so people, there is an even smaller number that is giving a almost preposterous amount. The real so, power players. Like those people matter. Whether or not you agree with their opinions also doesn't matter. So that that's my piece on whether or not what we're saying matters. It doesn't. And, you know, have have your piece. I think your point about the collective is true, though, and we might be headed that way. Could be. Could be. Let's switch gears here, though, um, and talk Auburn basketball after all that. Um, some positivity? Yeah, hey, here's some positivity. We like to wrap up on a positive note for, for you Auburn fans out there. And uh, here's where your positivity is going to come from for the next – Several months, so um, dig in. Uh, Auburn 90, South Alabama 81. Um, this was a game where, I, I guess, UCF was such an anomaly that we said, like, there's no way they're going to they're gonna keep shooting this badly. Especially I think when, they'll have bad shooting performances again. But if, we, that if badly? we're having another recording and we're talking about something in the even in the ballpark of what they did against UCF, I will be... Woo. So... As I wrote on on the observations from Alabama, from Auburn, South Alabama, the thing about inkis- inconsistency is that sometimes it can flip positive for you. If you play poorly and it's like, oh, you're young and there's no no telling what to expect and you're not very consistent, well, it could flip positive for you at any moment. Auburn, 22 made three-pointers in a 90-81 victory over South Alabama that broke a school record and tied an SEC record. That SEC record set by Alabama last season in the home game against Auburn where they where Auburn won in overtime. So that makes me think, I didn't go back and double-check this, though, makes me think Auburn might have had more three-pointers than any other team in SEC history in regulation on uh, on Friday night. Um, South Alabama, we said it uh, you know, on the, on the premium podcast, short team zone, they're going to have opportunities to just kind of kick it around and shoot. Auburn's... Auburn didn't really call very many half-court sets. They were just like, hey, guys, uh, just pass the ball around and, and work to get open, and um, you'll get open and pull from deep. And they did that. Uh, Justin Powell, ladies and gentlemen, seven of nine from the field. All three of them were three-pointers. He also had five free throws. He hit, he hit five free throws. Nine assists, one turnover. One of the most remarkable home debuts I have seen from an Auburn basketball player. His stats were absolutely absurd. Auburn scored on 74% of the possessions when Powell was on the floor. This was a game that was made for him because, again, he is not a natural point guard. There are some tendencies in his game where he kind of gets, you know, you, you can tell he's a, he's a shooting guard by trade. He's not, he's not the most comfortable in the world playing point, but he did it so well on, on, on um, Friday night. In a, in a positive matchup for him. Had nine assists and just one turnover, like I said. And the good thing with him is the way they've jumped into that zone, they could kick the ball around. That, As Pearl said, they, he was going to get catch-and-shoot opportunities from the point guard spot on, on, on Friday night. And lo and behold, he did. The dude is automatic. His, his, jumper, is, his jumper is pure. And, like, I, I'm telling you, man, like, there were a few of those where, you know, I'm sitting up there watching it, and as soon as he pulls, I'm like, oh, you could tell from going off his hands it was going in. It just it looks, it looks really really clean coming up, coming off his hand and uh, man played played exceptionally well and we don't know how long Auburn's going to be without Sharif Cooper 
But if they can get more stuff like this out of Powell and get and create some more catch and shoot opportunities for him, dude is a dead eye. Speaking of that stat you mentioned, excellent trolling from ESPN Stats and Info who tweeted, I think, yesterday, there have been two games in SEC history where one team made 22 threes. On February 12th, 2020, Alabama made 22. Tonight, Auburn made 22. Both games ended in Auburn wins. There you go. So in shout Auburn out to uh, ESPN Stats and Info for getting a little dig in at Alabama's expense. Also, to your point, I think I feel better about what I said earlier, which is that Powell may be the most important player on Auburn's team. Right now, yeah. Currently stands. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he might not be the best, and the the offense may not run through him every you know every game. Like we've already talked about how impactful Jalen Williams has been and the potential of JT Thor, but given the relative lack of experience and depth they have, like when he's giving you that performance at point, you're in a much better place. Um, Jay, uh, yeah, we'll get to Jalen Williams here in a moment. The thing with Auburn is, is that they shot so poorly against, um, <laughs> they, uh, was it, what was it? They were, da, 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 they were seven of, they were seven of six percent. What were they? Yeah, they were shooting. They were seven of 34 from deep against UCF, right? For the whole game. They hit seven three-pointers in the first eight minutes of the game. Which also, like, we have seen this Auburn team just be really cold away from Auburn Arena in past seasons, and maybe that's just going to be on a bigger scale this year. I don't know if that's – like, I I have no way of predicting that. But, like, obviously they were fine shooting at home. This team has gotten off to slow offensive starts pretty much in every game they played this year, and then this one they they tore it up. 25-7 by the under-12 timeout. They were – rolling they were hitting everybody was everybody was sharing the ball and hitting it uh six different tigers scored in those early eight minutes uh justin powell devin cambridge alan flanagan jalen williams and jamal johnson all hit multiple three-pointers uh all the starters were in double digits in scoring sharing the rock scoring against a short and very ineffective defense um that was what you wanted to see from auburn that is separation consistency uh, kind of a team effort when it comes to scoring scoring the ball. That's Bruce Pearl's been begging for that, um, and they got it. Like the fact that Cambridge came out and played really well, uh, shot shot well. I mean, he okay. I'll say this: he hit shots. Um, his percentage wasn't great by the end of the game, but he was getting open. He was getting looks. Jamal Johnson played really well. Flanagan continues to play well. Um, Jalen Williams didn't get in foul trouble. He had an absurd game in this one. Um, 13 points, four rebounds, four assists, a block and a steal. He was the he was when he was on the floor, Auburn was just a whole lot better. And he his ability to bring the ball up the floor, his ability to stretch the floor and to do all the center stuff as well from it makes him a matchup problem. And he had some really good assists, but uh, the one where he threw it off the back of the player in the inbounds play under the basket was was great. Because that's a heads-up play, and you, you we see that sometimes in um, in basketball. You kind of you kind of people are having to learn of that. It's like, hey, if you put your back to an inbounder under the goal and try to like read it and do all that, he can just throw it off of you and then dunk off of it. It's a great game for him. He is he has been such a fun player to watch earlier in the year for Auburn. Yeah, that's like the only thing I really have to take positive away from the week. I mean, and like I'm trying not to get too excited because it's South Alabama Ferg, you know. Right. So there's gonna be they're gonna be up and downs this year, but there were things about that game that like I've already in this season had some low lows where I expected those and now I'm getting one of those highs. 
still a lot of turnovers, and the defensive effort was not where you wanted it to be. Got to get better on both of those ends. Again, defense, good, bad, good, bad. Like, it's, it's, it's riding the wave. Got to get some consistency on the defensive end. I think that'll come with getting more secure five and not rotating as much. They're going to rotate. They're going to play 9, 10, 11 deep or whatever, but – Given some more minutes when they finally get a five that separates itself, will be pretty good. Uh, I think Powell coming out as a starter was a good move for Auburn because they're just they're just better on both ends of the floor with him out there. They just they've got it. They've got to do a better job of not turning the ball over. You don't want to beat the dead horse about not having Sharif Cooper um, because there are still is, there know, are still a lot it of is tur- what it is like that, there that are is still a lot cliche, of. But. There are still a lot of turnovers on defense. I mean, it's turnovers on offense that are happening that even if you had a point guard, like guys are still guys are still making bad plays on that. One of the other things, Auburn barely scored on the inside. It was a ton of three points, and, of course, it, it was mad. Uh, South Alabama scored on the inside. Auburn did not. Auburn's got to find ways to get guys like Williams, Akinbola, Stretch Akinbola, uh Dylan Cardwell, JT Thor, and then maybe some of, the, some of the wings as well just to score on the inside, to create and try to get – inside and, and, and go to the rack, get to the free throw line. They barely did that against South Alabama. That's the next step in that evolution because if they can shoot like that and everybody can contribute and stretch the floor, that's great. Auburn right now, and then part of their part of their turnover issues are they're getting it inside and nothing's happening or they're not getting it inside at all. Um, and it's kind of that style. They don't have a back-to-the-basket guy. They don't have any like interior, uh, like top-tier interior scores. Like even not a back-to-the-basket guy, a guy who can like create and, and drive and – Dish. I mean, Williams is your best bet. Thor can do it as well to an extent. It's just they gotta they've gotta find a way to to score more around the rim. Do that. Cut down the turnovers. Get your defensive game back going. I mean, you've got to sign it of a team that can get on a run here. They play Memphis on Saturday night uh, in Atlanta. We'll see how that game goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think what we saw on Saturday from Auburn's Auburn basketball is like this is what this team could be. When they take advantage of a really good matchup in terms of spread the floor, shoot it a lot, uh, hit a lot, uh, and kind of play that way. But they're still, I mean, they scored 90 points and barely scored on the inside, barely scored on the fast break, barely got to the free throw line. Right? You do any of those other things, like you could have scored easily over 100 in this game. Yeah, you can chalk up some of the bad stuff to simply youth and mistakes you expect from a team this young. And then late, like I think they tightened up just a little bit. Um, you know, you, you made a joke online about the brutality of college basketball gambling because Auburn controlled that game, and it, a lot of it looked like they were 20 points better but ended up not covering. Yeah, it's – it's uh, <laughs> like I think there's some things to be excited about even in Auburn's weaknesses because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they can improve on that. You know, it's, it may not all happen this year, but there are mistakes where you're going, all right, I can see why they would do that or I would see why they would be inconsistent in that. Uh, your thoughts on Justin Powell's nickname? <laughs> yeah, uh, cracks me up, and I'm you know I'm glad that a, uh, I'm glad Cambridge I'm glad gave that us that they're one. Embracing that, like it's like, hey, yeah, you know, you are white, and uh, by the way, you're pretty good, so we'll we'll go along with it. Yeah, it's uh, he's good. He's re- he's really really good, and I think the more the more Auburn um, can get some catch and shoot opportunities for him, uh, the better it'll be. A lot of Sharif Cooper love during the game. Um, yeah. He was there on the sidelines. There was a lot of free Sharif chants, and um, he seemed. I was a fan of his coat, by the way. Saw some haters. Did online. you see? Like did you see coat. his shoes? 
Uh, I saw a picture that one of y'all took, and I don't remember anything about them. So I don't know what kind. What, what it, I don't know what kind of shoes they are. They were very, they were nice, but they were they were very sparkly. They were like black. Okay, gotcha. They were black and sparkly. And I uh, didn't pay attention to that. Very I, very I just, nice. I too am a big fan of oversized coats and and baggy t shirts. I don't know what kind of t shirt he was wearing, but that that uh, vibe he had going worked for me. Um, still no word on when or if they'll be able to get him cleared. They're still kind of going through the process, and uh, I know Auburn fans. Are... I think that they're still doing something that they're trying is a good sign, right? Yeah, like yeah. They haven't given up hope, so it's like, all right, this is still worth our while to put in an effort. And what shouldn't be lost here is that Sharif Cooper wants to play at Auburn in the NCAA. He hasn't left yet. Away from him. Hasn't left yet. It's the thing. He hasn't left. And a lot of people thought, mm, you know, he might bail. Just bail and try something else, go overseas even. He wants to be here, and I think he's still going to, you know, hopefully Auburn and the NCAA, something will get worked out here, but I think it'll be a process. All right. Well, that will do it for this edition of the Auburn Observer Podcast. Want to uh, let everybody know, uh, Painter, first off, this is a, this is one of our free episodes. Let the people know how they can support the show and how they can get involved if they want if they want more. If this is a time in which you're interested and able to support what we're doing, we've got this free weekly recap and then a preview on Thursday, which is part of the premium subscription base. If you become a premium member, you get all of Ferg's good work, plus, of course, that additional podcast. If right now that option is not for you, rate, review, subscribe. That helps us tremendously. If you'll follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be tremendous. And let people know, simply by word of mouth, that's usually how podcasts get out and so if you like what we're doing whether it's the more serious breakdown stuff that usually comes from ferg or some of the more lighthearted stuff please 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 help us out um and just mainly thank you guys regardless even if it doesn't come in terms of money Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of you are helping us in other ways and that is certainly to be uh we're we're gracious for that as well yeah appreciate all the likes appreciate all the listens appreciate the people who shouted us out on the Spotify, um, you know, the rap, the, the year in review, it's like, Hey, you, we, yeah. you, we'd only been doing this for a few months and you were one of my top podcasts of the year. That was really cool to see. So we appreciate all of y'all doing that, uh, as well. Yeah. Continue to continue to support show that way. Um, and if you can become a subscriber, uh, $6 a month, $6 a year. If you have an Auburn fan in your life that you feel like would enjoy it, we have a gift subscription link that you can find, uh, pretty much on, towards the top of every story that we're doing right now on the site uh you click on it and uh, it comes up you can give um you can give people a year-long uh subscription or you can pay for the first month for them and you can schedule it for later so you can say hey it won't if you want to give it to them on christmas morning it won't kick in until christmas morning you can go ahead and set all that up and get it ready to go for any of the auburn fan in your life uh around christmas or the holidays um so yeah we've got uh observations up from both texas a&m and south alabama games uh, some things that we talked about here in this this show. Uh, Monday will be film room Monday. Um, I have not fully landed on what I'm going to do yet, but I, part of me wants to go back to what in the world happened in the fourth quarter and how was it that bad. Um, that might be the way we go from there. A lot of stuff coming up, Auburn football and Auburn basketball. Final week of the regular season. We will talk to you, uh, members of the Inner Circle, on Thursday. The subscribers with our with our uh, premium podcast, where we preview the Texas A&M. I mean, I'm sorry, the preview of the Mississippi State and the Memphis basketball games. Uh, for the rest of you, we will talk to you. Probably the best non-conference game left. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, uh, Baylor, you, and... you have Baylor, but yeah, until yeah, until SEC yeah, play yeah. starts. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we will uh, we will we will preview those games for Auburn football and Auburn basketball on Thursday's edition. For the rest of you, we will talk to you on Sunday. Uh, AuburnObserver.com. Follow me on Twitter at jfergusonau. Follow him on Twitter at Paint Sharpless Painter. You got anything else? That's it. Thank you guys for sticking with this. I know this has been a rough couple of weeks for Auburn football. Yep. So we will uh, we'll try to keep it we'll try to keep it as positive as possible when it comes to Auburn basketball, and uh, we will see what the uncertain future brings for Auburn football. Uh, Painter uh, Bills play on Monday Night Football this week. Yeah, we got a big one. Uh, I don't feel good about it. That San Francisco team is pesky. I wouldn't call them good, but certainly capable of winning. All right. Well. Hopefully, hopefully the Bills will be able to pull it out. So go Bills, and uh, we'll talk to we'll talk to y'all later this week. Adios. <laughs>